Sunday, one of the most difficult things that I have to do on Easter Sunday is follow the worship team. They always put on uh, their best foot forward. Every week is great, but it seems like Easter, they really put out a lot of effort. Yeah, amen. So you get to sit there and clap, and I have to follow them. So, so I'm going to do my best to uh, provide something that the Lord will use in your life. Um, just a note for those of you who are visiting uh, this week, being Easter, we're having our children stay in here with us, and so all the kids will be in here. We have a special little event at the end of the morning where they will be brought up front and be able to hear a little story, and then we have a gift for them that they'll take home with them for Easter with some candy and some different things, so kids, you can look forward to that. It's kind of a reward for you being uh, quiet and, and listening to the sermon. <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to say, right? You talk about rewards to kids and they, and they listen better. If you do have, if you're, first of all, let me just say this. If your kid acts up a little bit or if, if you're sitting next to a kid that acts up a little bit, just be gracious, you know, right off the bat. That's going to happen. And that's because they're kids and that's okay. Amen? That's all right. We want them to enjoy church and be able to sit through it. And that means that they're going to squirm a little bit, Right? And we want to be okay with that, and, and they'll learn and grow as they get older. If you do feel like they're being distracting and, and um, you'd like to go out to the back, there's a back area there that you can still hear the sermon, but um, maybe not be uh, in earshot of the kids making their noise. And there are two nurseries in the back, one's for babies and the other one's for toddlers. If you'd like to take advantage of that, those are available as well. Join me, if you would, in your Bibles in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is one of the, um, really one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in regards to the resurrection. And we celebrate our Lord this morning uh, in his resurrection. The fact that he is no longer in the grave, but he has risen from the grave. And he's now, the Bible teaches us that he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. And that he is Lord, he is King he is ruler, and he is ruling in the hearts of those who have placed their faith in him. And according to God's word, he will one day rule the entire earth. And we look forward to that day. That's exciting to those of us who are Christians, the day that we will sit underneath his rule and reign in the earth. And there'll be no more sorrow and no more tears and no more uh, dishonesty and lying and no more war and no more frustration. We'll be, we'll be set free from all of these things and be able to live in what we would call a perfect place, a place of, of right, where righteousness rules. So we look forward to that and we hope in that as Christians. How many of you would say this morning that Easter is one of your favorite holidays of the year? Anybody want to? Okay. Quite a few of you would say Easter, I mean, it competes maybe with Christmas a little bit, and maybe there's another holiday or two. I, I know Thanksgiving is one of the uh, great holidays because we get to eat so well that, that time of the year, but, but Easter is right up there on the very top of the list of the most important holidays or the most enjoyed holidays of the year. The reason Easter is such an enjoyable time... Uh, I think one of the reasons why is because of the season that it takes place in. It takes place in the spring, and uh, things are coming back to life, aren't they? Uh, the things that were dead are coming back to life, and I think that's the reason why we like Easter so much is because we're celebrating life, and we're celebrating new life, and, 
It's not just any life, but um, it's new life, it's restored life, it's things that were dead coming back to life again. And, and we can look at our own lives. Each one of you that's sitting here this morning can look at your own life and you can see seasons in your life where things seem to be dead. Uh, things seem to be dormant. There was, no, there was no really purpose or motivation for living life. And then you had, a, you had an Easter experience or you had a springtime experience where, where things came to life. And you begin to, what, what we would call, begin to live again. And this is what makes Easter and, I would say, spring such an encouraging time of the year. And I know um, California doesn't get to experience that as much as other states because really it's like 12, uh, 11 months of spring, half a month of winter, half a month of summer. But we, we know what spring is supposed to be like. And being from the Midwest, I have experienced the idea of things being dead and then coming back to life again. But it's not just, Easter is not just about things being dead and coming back to life again. It's not about grass being dormant and coming back or trees having all of their leaves that have fallen off because it was too cold and now there's new life or new leaves on those trees. It's about new life for us. It's about new beginnings, things that were dead before being made alive again. The thing that makes Easter so encouraging is that it, it reminds us that things that are broken can be fixed it reminds us that things that are lost can be found, and it reminds us that things that are dead can be made alive again. And there are probably few things in life that are more encouraging than understanding how the resurrection can impact our lives, how the resurrection can take us one day from being fruitless and the next day to being fruitful, one day to having no purpose in life, the next day to having an amazing purpose in life. This is what the resurrection can do for us. A matter of fact, in the darkest moments of, of the scriptures, Jesus Christ himself points us to the resurrection. In John 14, you're familiar with it, what Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's getting ready to die. And his disciples are concerned and they're worried. They've just spent three and a half years building a relationship with him and they love him and they, they don't want to see him die. And Jesus says to them, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So in the face, the concept, the idea of death, Jesus Christ points us to the resurrection. He points his disciples to the resurrection to encourage them, to strengthen them, to enable them to continue on. Even though death may be something that's very real to you in this moment, maybe it not be physical death, uh, maybe it be uh, spiritual or some other type of death that you've experienced in your life. The Lord encourages us that there is a resurrection there's a point where things can be made alive. In John 11, Jesus comforts Mary and Martha with the resurrection when he says this to them. In verse 23 through 27, he says, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of that day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This morning's text in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 is really one of the most 
a well-known, um, one of the well-known passages in regards to the resurrection. And its primary, its primary purpose, and my primary purpose this morning in, in teaching from it, is to encourage you. I want to encourage your heart. Now, you may be sitting here with us this morning, and you may be going through a time of discouragement. You may be going through a time of depression. You may be going through a time where you, have, you, felt, you feel like there is only death in your life. You feel like it's only darkness and everything looks bleak and there's no hope and there's no future and you're, and you're down and discouraged. I want to encourage you that there is hope. And the hope that we will, we, we will see this morning is the hope that's in Jesus Christ, that he can bring deliverance to whatever situation or whatever circumstance. He can bring light into your dark moment. He can bring deliverance from the bondage that you feel like you're in. He can set you free, as we sang about uh, so well in the, in the opening worship time. My encouragement is also to you that are here that do not have a relationship with Christ. You've never come to a point where you've placed faith in him. You walked through life without that eternal purpose. You've walked through life a slave to sin. You've walked through life a slave or in bondage to all of the uh, sensual desires. It's like if your body wants it, then you're willing to, 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 to pursue it, even if it's super har- harmful to you. And you've walked through life with that type of a purposelessness. My encouragement to you this morning, and I believe what the text will teach us, is that there is hope for you. And that hope is in the fact that there is a resurrection. There is a new life, a new beginning, a new hope. Jesus refers to it in John chapter number three as a new birth, being born again. And I think many of us would say the idea of starting over would be great. And the Lord gives us that opportunity through his son, Jesus Christ. He gives us the opportunity for salvation. If you want to join me, um, I want to read our text this morning and you can follow along. I'll read it aloud and then we'll uh, just unpack four or five thoughts This morning, um, I hope to be an encouragement and a help to you. The Bible says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. And just note that falling asleep in this text is just a euphemism for died. They, They are dead. These people have fallen asleep and they are dead. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep so that you grieve so that you do not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that, he, that, that, that we who are alive, who are left behind, are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, the Apostle Paul writes these words to encourage the hearts of the people that are here. And there are, a few, there are a few truths that we can glean from this passage of Scripture specifically about the resurrection. And some things about the res- resurrection that will encourage your heart. If you're taking notes, uh, there was a sheet passed out that helps walk through the sermon outline if you're taking notes on that. The first thought that I'd like to unpack for you this morning is the hope 
of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection. The Lord says at the very beginning, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you do not grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, he's making a comparison to those who grieve, who are unbelievers, who do not have the, the, the knowledge of the resurrection, who do not have the comfort that when we, when we die, we, we just leave this world and we go into another world. He's comparing those who have that mentality towards life and, and then those who have the mentality towards life that uh, death is a form of transition, that we're transitioning from this life into a, another life and that one day we'll be restored back. Even the physical elements of who we are will be restored back and we will be new in our bodies as well as we are spiritually the resurrection, the concept of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, faith in the resurrection is what brings this hope about for those who have loved ones who have passed away or for those who have loved ones that are even sick at this moment. It is encouraging to know that there is a resurrection to be looked forward to. There are three things that we have uh, that are hopeful in this concept of the resurrection. The first thing is, the resurrection gives peace to those who are fearful. And you'll notice in the text that over and over again, the Bible refers to those who are dead as being asleep. Now, one of the most challenging things about death is that it's the fear of what happens when a person dies, right? Even people who are believers in Christ and believe in the resurrection and believe in going into eternity, there's a certain level of fear about that moment, right? It's like, I don't fear death, but I sure fear dying. I've heard people say that before. It's that, it's that unknown about what's going to happen to me when I pass from this life into the next life. What's that process looks like? So the Lord says here in the text, using this word asleep to, to refer to, not, uh, not, it's not the idea of soul sleep, like you go into this uh, hibernation state and you're in this hibernation state for how many every years, and then you come back. The idea of it is, is that the, the, what happens to you when you die is like falling asleep. In other words, he's comforting them from the idea of, the, of, of a painful death or a, a death that's not something that you can think about or imagine to something that's, that's far less difficult to deal with. So he's calling them, he said... When you die, it's like falling asleep. It's like falling asleep. And for somebody that's fearful, someone that's afraid of dying or afraid of the process of dying, that is encouraging to their heart. It, is, it brings peace to their heart to know that death is something that is like falling asleep. It's literally like you know, the, the, the picture is of somebody taking a nap, right? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I enjoy naps. And, uh, and some of you might, might understand what that's like, but, but he, that's what he's trying. He's trying to comfort those people who have this, this, this fear, and, and perhaps it's a very natural fear of dying and the process of dying. He's trying to comfort their heart that it's, that it's like falling asleep. And when you wake up, you wake up in the presence of the Lord. And your waking up is, is immediate. It's not something that is, is long and drawn out. It's not, you're not asleep for many years. It's, it's literally a, a momentary sleep. It's a momentary sleep. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, he says, Yes, be of good courage. 
For we know, or we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This, this um, verse is translated in another version. It says, to be absent from the Lord, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. It literally means when you leave your body by going to sleep, uh, the analogy of going to sleep, that you are immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord. Philippians 1.23, the Apostle Paul says, yes, um, he says, I would rather be, I would rather be absent from the body than to remain here. But he says, but it's good for you that I remain here. And in both of these verses, what we have is this idea of wanting to be with the Lord, wanting to be in the, experience the resurrection. So the resurrection gives peace to the fearful. The second thing that it does is it gives hope to the grieving. He says it, he says it very clearly in the text here that he doesn't want them to grieve like others who have no hope. With the, with the resurrection, there is always something to hope for, hope for, to look forward to. Remember this, the lack of hope is often the result of the lack of something to anticipate or something to look forward to. Grief is because I have nothing to look forward to. I could wake up every day when, when, when we were here on earth. I could wake up each morning and I, I look forward to spending time with my family or spending time with my friend who is no longer here. The Lord is saying in this, in this text that we have still something to look forward to. When people leave this earth, there is still something to anticipate. Matter of fact, there is something even way better to anticipate. And that is the fact that we will live eternally together with the Lord. He even tells us at the end of this text that we will be reunited with our loved ones. We'll, we'll be joined together with them in the clouds. The resurrection gives us something to hope in. It gives us something to look forward to. It gives us something to anticipate. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel when David's son, David's baby, dies and they ask him, he's, he's, he's mourning and he's praying and he's weeping over, his, over, his, over this child up until the point where he, he passes and they ask him, why have you changed? And he says, because I can't, he will not be able to come back to me, but I will go to him. And the issue is, is there's hope in, there's hope in the resurrection. There's hope of reunion in the resurrection. I read it to you earlier in John 14, Jesus talking about when he, when he resurrected, that he was going to go and prepare a place, that he will come and receive us to himself. The resurrection gives hope to those who are grieving. The third thing that the resurrection does in regards to um, helping us, in regards to giving us what we need for hope, is he gives us comfort to those who are broken. With the resurrection, we realize that the broken things in life can be fixed. Those who are helpless can become those who are hopeless can become hopeful. Those who are in despair can become helped. Those who are trusting in the resurrection can have all things changed. The Bible tells in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Maybe you're not someone that's experienced death in a physical way, but maybe you're someone that's experienced death in a practical way. Maybe you've experienced death morally. Maybe you've experienced death in some other way. The Bible tells us that there's hope for that person because of the resurrection. There is hope in the resurrection for the future, and there is hope in the resurrection for today. 
The second thought this morning is those who are helped in the resurrection or the helped in the resurrection. The resurrection, know this, the resurrection impacts everyone. Everyone's life will be impacted by the resurrection. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. In other words, that a person's going to die and then they're going to face God on judgment day. Everyone experienced this, this resurrection. Everyone lives forever. Remember that. Everyone lives forever. John 5, 28 and 29 says it this way. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear the voice of God. Now just note for a moment what he's talking about is dead people hearing things. Right? And we should stop and pause for a moment just on that issue because there's something happening in that dead person that makes them no longer dead that they can hear. He says, do not marvel at this. He's, he's like, I've told you this already. I've told you this over and over again that the dead are going to hear the voice of God and they're going to come out of the grave. They're not going to remain there forever. He says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Those who have done evil are those who have rejected Christ. Those who have refused to submit to his will and embrace him in his sacrifice on the cross. Those who have refused to submit themselves to Christ. There's nothing encouraging about the resurrection for those who are lost. The resurrection to a lost person is similar to, a, to, a, to somebody who has just robbed the bank getting caught by the police. It's not something that they look forward to, is it? A resur- the resurrection to a lost person means that they will stand in the face of the one whom they have defied. And he will be their judge. And they will condemn, he will condemn them for eternity on the basis of their crimes. The resurrection for an unbeliever is not a positive thing. It's not an encouraging thing. I didn't say the resurrection for a sinner. I said the resurrection for an unbeliever because we're all sinners. The hope for all of us is not that one of us is better than the other one. The hope is simply this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he rose the third day and he has offered to give you salvation freely. It has nothing to do with you being worthy of it or deserving it. Matter of fact, it it literally has everything to do with you receiving a free gift. But my friends, there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people across our, our globe that refuse to receive that gift. They refuse to trust in Jesus Christ. They refuse to submit to his will. They want to find another way or they think there is a better way to get to God. Jesus made it very clear in John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father lest they come through me. Does it get any clearer than that? Does it get any clearer than that? There is only one way to come into the presence of God and be received, and that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter how far you have run away from God. What does matter is, will you come to him and and, and receive the mercy that he has provided for you in his son. Some people sit in church services Sunday after Sunday and they think to themselves, I'm just, I'm just too far gone. You're not too far gone. Jesus' blood that was shed for you on the cross is sufficient 
for whatever sins you've ever committed. And he can take those sins and forgive them, and he can set you free from them. If you're a believer this morning, do you agree with that? Amen. Amen. It's true. The people sitting around you that may not be believers need to see that agreement. This is truth. This is not my truth. This is the truth from God and from his word. The resurrection is not an encouraging thing to an unbeliever. You do not want to resurrect if you're an unbeliever. You want to just stay in the grave, but you're not going to. You're going to resurrect, and you're going to stand before him who is your judge and be judged by him. For for a believer, it's a wonderful thing. For a believer, the resurrection is unto eternal life. Uh, Twice in our text, it says that those who are in Christ... That just simply means that that person is, is, is clothed in Christ, they're covered by Christ, they're a part of Christ's family on the basis of faith and not on the basis of works. Everything about the resurrection is encouraging for a believer. Everything about the resurrection is encouraging for a believer. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 61.10 says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom who decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself for with her jewels. Jesus will adorn us with the resurrection, with the new life. The resurrection, the resurrection is hopeful or helpful only to those who are in Christ, to those who are, believe in him and trust in him. My challenge to you this morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never submitted your will to his will, you've never seen him as being completely sufficient to save your wretched soul, listen to me, you'll never work your way into God's favor. You can't do enough. When it comes to the economy of sin and righteousness, it's not an eraser. There's no eraser. When we commit sin, the sin is marked against us and it will be held against us forever. There is no eraser in God's economy. What there is is there's imputation where Jesus Christ died in our place and he takes his righteousness and he puts it. He doesn't erase our unrighteousness. He bore our unrighteousness and he puts his righteousness over our unrighteousness. And the salvation that you will experience is not a salvation of you erasing your old bad deeds and putting on new deeds. It's a salvation that takes your old bad deeds and puts them on Jesus, and he takes his new righteousness, he takes his righteousness and he puts it on you. And do you know what that is? It's a gift. It's not something that you work for. The Bible could be no clearer about any doctrine of Scripture than the one that says, He did everything necessary for your salvation, and there's nothing that you can do to make it happen. This leads us to number three, the heart of the resurrection. The heart of the resurrection. Verse 14 says it this way very clearly, for since we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so through Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus, or because of Christ Jesus, on the basis of Christ Jesus, he will bring with him those 
who have fallen asleep. The basis of our resurrection is simply this, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 15 that he is the first fruits of all of those who believe. You know what it means by first fruits? It means that what he did, other people will do. It's like a harvest. It's like they bring in the first fruits of the harvest and they, and they judge everything based on those first fruits. And Jesus Christ's first fruits was the fact that he resurrected from the dead and he says that all of those who are in Christ Jesus will also resurrect from the dead. You see, it's the work of Jesus Christ that's at the foundation. It's, at the, it's, it's what causes us to be hopeful that the resurrection is possible. Easter says to us that if it was possible for Jesus to rise from the dead, it is possible for me to rise from the dead. We come here to celebrate Jesus raising from the dead, but the reality of it is, is a lot of us have risen from the dead. Amen? At salvation. And some of us, and, and those who have risen from the dead at salvation, will rise from the dead again in the end. Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is not only the first fruits, but he is the cause of our resurrection. Remember in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus speaking with Mary and Martha says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is the first fruits, meaning that he went in front of us and all of those who are in him will experience the same thing, but he's also the cause. It is because of him that we can anticipate the resurrection. Because of Christ our Lord and Savior, because of Christ our Master, we can expect to follow in his footsteps and experience the things that he experienced. Romans 6, I'm going to just... Romans 6, you can read it in your own time. Jesus says that his death was our death and his resurrection was our resurrection. And that we should anticipate a changed life and we can anticipate a changed eternity. Two times the resurrection happened under uh, number, number four, the, the, happening, the happening of the resurrection. When does the resurrection happen? There's a, a phrase here in verse number 16 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And what he's referring to here, these, these um, what we would call uh, analogies, these pictures, are meant to point us to an actual event. And if you can think of an event where there's a trumpet and there's a loud announcer that's announcing something, what you know is this is an event Something is getting ready to happen that is an eventful moment. He's referring to that here in this text, that there's an event in the future in which all people will rise from the dead. There's an event coming. Now let me say this to you, and, and, and just to preface this, there are two times that there's a resurrection that happens to an individual. Resurrection happens twice to an individual. The first time that the resurrection happens is at their salvation. Notice this. When Jesus tells Mary and Martha about the resurrection of Lazarus, he doesn't argue that there's, coming to, there's going to be a resurrection in the last day, but what he also says is that Lazarus is going to rise from the dead now. So there's two resurrections. There's a resurrection unto life, which takes place when a person believes in Christ. 
They become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Old things are put away. And all things have become new. Right? That takes place at salvation. When a person places their faith in Christ, they believe in him, they embrace him as being sufficient for their sins. The Bible says that their life, their, their world is turned upside down and they're no longer the person that they used to be. They're a new, the, the terminology is so amazing. They're a new creation, meaning like they were like an elephant and now they're a lion. That's the, that's the analogy. They're not the same at all anymore. And when a person gets saved, that's what happens. We who were, a, were sinners now have become righteous, Right? We who were guilty have now been forgiven. That's, that is what happens when a person believes in Christ. All things become new on the basis of Christ's love for us. Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says it this way, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he refers to sinful life as being death. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I'm, I'm just dead in my trespasses. They own me. My sins own me. Jesus is saying to you that there is a hope that you can be resurrected today and become a new creation in Christ. You say, Pastor John, what do I do? You just believe. It's like, it's so simple, but yet it's so impossible because people want a list of seven steps. And the Lord just says, just believe that what I did for you was enough. And then embrace me as your Lord and Savior. Not only at salvation, but at the rapture and the final resurrection, which can be connected and, and um, can be considered by many the same. There is an event that's coming, going to take place in the last days of this world where all the graves are going to open up and everybody is going to be, their soul and their body are going to be reunited together. It's an actual event that has been planned before the beginning of time that at some point there will be a resurrection of everybody. That your body will be restored to your soul. It will be made new. It will be perfected, if you will. And that is a promise from God's word that's going to happen in the future at the resurrection of believers. For those who are believers and the resurrection for unbelievers, for those who are unbelievers. All things are going to be made new. I encourage you to read Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. It's, it's helpful. Philippians 3, 21 says who will transform our lowly bodies to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's an event, there's a future event that's coming up that's promised by God in which all people will be resurrected, restored to their bodies, and then, and then they will give an account to God. Those who are lost will give an account for the things that they have done in this life. And they will be guilty. Those who are saved will give an account for everything that Jesus did in this life. That's, that's, that's the gift. The gift is Jesus took on himself our sins and he gave us his righteousness if we will receive it. That's we receive it by faith. You say, well, I would rather, I would rather, I would rather have my own righteousnesses. And you can, you can go down that path. You can go down that path, but you will be over here on judgment day. God will say, okay, let's see. 
Did you do enough to merit heaven? And I'm not going to notice any of your good deeds, just all of your bad ones. And the answer is always, even if God did notice our good deeds versus our bad deeds, what we would find is that we still fell majorly short. Right? The prophets say this, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So, I mean, if you want to stand before God on judgment day and and say, hey, you know what, God, I just want you to look at all the things that I've done in my life and decide whether I'm guilty or innocent, you're going to be guilty. But if you are willing this morning to, by faith, apart from your works, if you are willing to place your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you, he says, he promises in his word that he will give you a gift, and that gift is perfect righteousness. Not your righteousness, but his righteousness. And he'll come and live inside of you, and he will be your righteousness, and one day you will stand before the God of the universe, and he will not be your judge. He will be your father and your friend. He will be your rewarder. There will be many who will stand before God on judgment day hoping to obtain rewards on the basis of their works and they will be judged on the basis of their works. There will be others who will come to God on judgment day hoping to obtain rewards on the basis of Christ's works. You see, that's that's the challenge. It's either faith or works. It's not both. And they're not the same. There's a resurrection coming. It could be this year. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know when it is, but we know that God's word promises us that you will live forever somewhere. It's the truth, folks. It's the truth. I tell you it because I love you. And I don't want to see anybody that's sitting here on Easter 2022 stand before God on Judgment Day and not know for sure that they're going to walk into heaven on the basis of what Christ has done for them. But I'm not foolish to think that there's not one sitting here today thinking that they're going to get on the basis of what they've done. The last thought this morning in closing is is the handling of the resurrection. It's found in the last verse. Therefore, it says, encourage one another with these words. How How are we to handle this message? The resurrection is the most encouraging message that can be given to somebody who will place their faith in Christ. How are we to handle it? Well, it's very simple. We're to, we're to walk people, we're to walk with people through life with it. The Greek word here is, is the same exact word, or at least the same root, and a very, very similar word to what's used in the gospel in John 14 through 16 to describe the way the Holy Spirit works with us. The word literally means to walk alongside of somebody. It's like, I want to come and I want to join you in your life and I want to walk with you through your life and I want to continually be pointing you to the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of yourself. You know what we call that in the Bible? You know what the Bible calls that and what we call that in Christianity? We call that discipleship. It's taking somebody that is needing to be reminded of Christ on a regular basis and it's walking through life with them. That's what this means. When he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words, he is saying, I want you to find somebody to walk through life with who needs to hear this message. And I want you to continuously comfort them with this message. Listen, it's not enough. Sunday morning is not enough. 
It's not enough to walk into church on Sunday morning and hear a preached message. That's not enough. People need to walk together through life in discipleship of the resurrection of Christ. And it is your job and it is my job to find someone that needs it and to walk through life with them. Always reminding them and comforting them with the resurrection. Always comforting them with the resurrection. There are people that are sitting here today and we, we have four of our beloved members of this church go to be with the Lord in the last year. You know, you know what they need? They need someone to walk beside them and remind them consistently of the resurrection. You know what's interesting? Those are the people that usually walk beside us and remind us of the resurrection. You might have a lost friend, someone that doesn't know Jesus as their savior. You know what they need? They need someone to walk with life, walk through life with them and tell them about Jesus constantly. That's what discipleship is, folks. It's not a magic trick. You are to walk through life with people and tell them of Jesus in whatever time, in whatever place you can. We are to disciple them. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. You know the rest of the text. We are to make disciples. And we're to be fruitful in doing it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the last verse of a very powerful passage on the resurrection says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection is a powerful truth. It's a powerful reality. It speaks of new beginnings. It speaks of endings. It speaks of starting over. It speaks of broken things being fixed, dead things being brought, to, brought back to life, failures being made into successes, guilt being made into forgiveness. The resurrection gives hope to all who are willing to place their faith in Christ, who is the essence and foundation of the resurrection. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never placed your faith in him, my, my, my plea to you and the word of God's plea to you is if you will embrace Christ, you will begin anew. He will forgive you. The Bible says he will actually forget your sins. Isn't that good? He will forget them. You know, not, we don't even forget people's sins, do we? God will forget your sins, meaning he'll never hold them against you. And it's all on the basis of Christ. If you're a believer here this morning, you, you know Christ as your Savior, you've embraced him. Listen, my encouragement to you is find somebody to walk through life with who needs to be reminded of the resurrection. They need to know that Jesus is alive and that you can be alive and I can be alive in this life and have the hope of it eternally. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, um, the example, the, the fact that you were the first fruits that laid down a foundation through which and by which we can embrace the fact that there is a resurrection and the, and the hope that by being in Christ, we can experience that resurrection. If someone's here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, 
Father, I pray that they would bow their knee to you today and embrace you as Lord and Savior, that they would submit to you and commit their life to you and trust that you will never leave them nor forsake them. For those of us, Lord God, who do know you, even now, I pray that you would help us to be motivated by the call, that these words are meant to comfort each other. They're meant to be discipleship words, that we would walk through life with people for the encouragement and salvation of their souls. Please bless the remainder of our time together in Jesus' name.